Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. American cities have experienced a quantum change over the past 19 months as the pandemic shuttered businesses and kept workers at home and away from vital city centers. Philadelphia is one city that is not only charging ahead in its comeback, but is also battling its own unique longer-term challenges. As part of our ongoing Forward Thinking series, FEI's Shivani Sumaya spoke with Philadelphia's controller, Rebecca Reinhardt, about how the city of brotherly love is fighting to make a comeback from the crisis. Hello, I'm John Owen, Managing Vice President for Robert Half's Government Practice. I'd like to welcome you to FEI's Forward Thinking series and the final webinar that will close out our Q2 sessions featuring government controllers. Robert Half and Protivity, a wholly owned subsidiary of Robert Half, are proud to be sponsors of this year-long forward-thinking series. As providers of talent and consulting solutions, our goals are to help all companies and leaders face the challenges of the future. Today, we will hear from Philadelphia City Controller Rebecca Reinhardt. Sworn into office in 2018, she is the first woman city controller for the city of Philadelphia, and since taking office, has used her role as the city's financial watchdog to take on some of Philadelphia's biggest challenges. Even amidst the pandemic, Philadelphia's economy is booming, so I'm looking forward to hearing Ms. Reinhardt share how she has been making a positive impact on Philadelphians and city services and what that might mean for other major cities. Please enjoy today's discussion. Now I'll pass it back to Shivani. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, Rebecca, it is a pleasure to have you here with us. And I know that Mr. Owen touched upon some bits of your background, but I would love to kick the conversation off by asking you if you could give us some insight into your background and how you found your way to the controller's office. Sure, uh, thanks Shivani also for having me here today. It's great to be here. Uh, so how I found my way to the controller's office was a bit, um, I guess, not in a straight line, not in, with a straight path. I uh, actually started my career in the private sector after graduate school. I worked in New York. Uh, I worked for about uh, seven years in public finance for Fitch Ratings and then for Bear Stearns. And I was a managing director for Bayer covering uh, risk related to municipal derivatives. And so I worked with a lot of governments across the country and I saw over and over that governments um, didn't always make the best financial decisions for themselves. And I really wanted to go help government work. I'm completely idealistic and believe that it can work if the right people are leading it. And so I just said, you know what? I've seen enough of local governments not making great decisions. I want to go help Philly, which is the city that um, the, I grew up in, the area I grew up in, uh, work better and actually work for people uh, in the city. So I left um, Bear Stearns in early 08, before it collapsed, and uh, came to Philadelphia to work for then Mayor Michael Nutter uh, as the city treasurer, which is an appointed position. And then I stayed, uh, I was the city treasurer for two years. 
And then I was the budget director of the city for a little over five years. And in the city structure, the budget director is above um, the treasurer. And then I stayed on for one year for the new mayor, uh, Mayor Kenny, in his cabinet before really coming to the conclusion that I couldn't make government truly work, local government truly work from an appointed position. And I had to run for office to disrupt politics as usual in Philly to make it truly work. Uh, Because I saw too much of the entrenchment when I worked within the city government. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna run for, I'm gonna run for office and when I thought about what to run for, the city controller is the financial watchdog. I have a financial background. So I decided to run for controller. And uh, I ran in 2017 in a competitive uh, primary. I'm a, I'm a Democrat. It was a, I ran against the Democratic incumbent. Um, no one who knows anything about politics thought I would win. <laughs> but I took on um, the establishment and, uh, and won with 58% of the vote. So I think what that said was Philly wants change and people want change in local government and people want government to work. Uh, so that's how I got here. That's uh, really refreshing. To hear. I always like to hear stories about people's nonlinear career paths. And as someone who's very early in her career, it's very, very refreshing to hear stories like yours. But you, you touch upon your background in the private sector. And so the question that I have for you is before you joined government finance, you spent some time in the private sector. What were the biggest surprises that you found in the way that finance operates in the public sector? So there's a big difference in culture, in workplace culture, um, especially between uh, a Wall Street firm like Bear Stearns coming to city government. Um, And I think whatever workplace culture you're in, you have to make changes when you change um, a job, right? So to me, it's about, I had to understand the workplace culture Uh, so that I didn't come in just thinking that I knew better than the city people that had been here for years and years. Because I think that's often when people move from the private sector to government, um, sometimes that is where the problem is, which is that uh, when you operate within a a city government, that's what I know, but uh, you have to be very respectful of the culture of the organization while pushing to change it. (laughs) So um, I think that um, in the end, financial decisions, I mean, what what government has to do on a daily basis is uh, balance the budget, look at tax receipts, say how are um, taxes coming in, what are we spending money on, what are the... um, areas of weakness or threat, you know, we have to constantly be looking at the balance sheet income statement. And that is, I think, similar to a private company. The difference is that there isn't a profit motive. So, um, I mean, what drives people is different in government. So, uh, the, for example, what drives me is to actually make government work and to make 
it work for people. Um, but some of what I push up against is, um, power that's held on for power's sake. Right. And, and so that is what, um, that's, that's the struggle. And there might be different struggles in private sector, but it's, um, it's probably not that one. So, uh, but that is something I think that is different and, uh, just the, pace of things is a bit different as well. So it, it took some cultural adjustment to move uh, from the private sector to a government, but uh, there's a lot of good people that work in city government. And um, I think people just need you know better leaders, honestly. Thank you. That's really interesting insight. I think there's one thing that you you mentioned that stuck with me a lot, which is that the people who work in government, they have different motivations. I think their motivations are very different from wanting to work in government. Um, so a lot of our membership base at FEI are controllers and financial executives within the private enterprise. Mm -hmm. So I want to understand from your vantage point, how is your role similar or perhaps even different from their roles? So some things are the same from a controller's perspective. Uh, my office is the audit function over the city. Uh, so that is why I'm separately elected from the mayor, uh, similar to New York City has the same structure and several other cities across the country, LA as well, have the similar structure. So some of it is similar um, in the sense that we're auditing, we follow auditing standards, um, I think that there are differences, uh, especially between uh, government and perhaps private publicly traded companies. For example, one of the audits that I did, my office did right after I came to office in 2018 was the audit of internal controls over uh, financial reporting. And what that audit found, it was pretty pretty bad, honestly, was what it found was there were several material weaknesses and significant deficiencies. And it found that um, Philadelphia actually has the worst internal controls of any of the top 10 largest cities. So we compared every, every uh, government that, that gets federal grant money must uh, provide the same information to the federal government and so we could see every city's uh, audit over internal controls. And what we saw was that we had the most uh, material weaknesses and significant deficiencies. And in fact, in that audit in 2018, we found that um, there was $33 million that was unaccounted for. Okay. Uh, that was, um, or missing, uh, I said missing, the mayor said unaccounted for, and that became an, an issue between us. But either way, it's unacceptable. Uh, the majority of that was located over the next year. But I bring that up because when I speak to um, uh, my uh counterparts, but, but people at Ernst & Young and Deloitte and to, to, you know, other private sector accounting companies, they said, wow, this would not stand for a private company to have so many material weaknesses and significant deficiencies that are unremedied year after year. That just would not 
um, even if it's an, uh, there's an unqualified opinion, it's still there. It, no company would be able to, to do this and not have an issue. So that is something I keep pushing on the mayor and city government here that it needs to clean up its uh, internal controls. It's probably a longer answer than you wanted, but I think it shows sort of the similarity, but then also some of the differences uh, in working for a government. No, I, I, I completely welcome longer answers. The longer, the better. I think we captured a lot of the similarities and the differences with exquisite detail. So thank you so much for your response there. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and now talk about the COVID-19 crisis a little bit with you. And so I want to understand from your perspective, how would you describe the challenges that all major American cities are facing in the post-COVID environment? So the challenges are huge. Um, their COVID um, impacted, of course, the whole country, the whole world. Uh, cities across the country have been impacted as people sort of um, had to at least temporarily, a lot of people temporarily left uh, to get away from the city and are coming back. And, you know, there, there's a lot of shift uh, shifting of people. Um, and also businesses were hurt tremendously. So coming out of, of COVID, it is so important that the right decisions are made in cities across the country to get the businesses open, to bring back our workers, uh, to have offices, you know, office workplaces uh, come back with their employees, because a lot of people, of course, have been working from home. So and also there'll be changing patterns, right? There'll be uh, COVID introduce the whole Zoom world. And um, a lot of people are happy telecommuting. And what does that mean for the future of cities? So there's a lot for cities across the country to be thinking about. Uh, and then in addition, you know, there's, it's been the last year, there's been social unrest um, across cities, which is another um, issue and area that needs focus, right? So there, there's a lot of challenge uh, and, in Philadelphia, um, like in cities across the country, uh, COVID and the impact on tax revenues was huge. So before um, before the federal relief re relief package was announced, uh, our city, Philadelphia, was looking at about a four hundred and fifty million dollar deficit for the upcoming year. And just for a sense of scale, Philly's budget is about $5 billion. So it's a 450 million is a lot. Um, I will say that what the federal government passed in terms of relief, the American Rescue Plan, is tremendously generous, honestly, for cities across the country. And we, Philadelphia is a city and a county, so we get both city and county money. Um, but but we're getting 1.4 billion from the American Rescue Plan over the next year, which is a once in a generation opportunity and must be spent well. So that's an area that my office is doing work on right now uh, to to really push for the city to to do the right thing with this money. <laughs> 
you you talked about a lot of um, interesting uh, topics as I asked you the question. We'll get to a couple of them um, throughout the course of our conversation, but there's one thing that you mentioned about the social unrest. Um, and so my next question for you is what are some of the social dynamics that are defining Philadelphia's financial future and American cities in general? So that's an interesting question uh, in terms of social dynamics. I think um, the country overall is um, dealing with or um, rightfully dealing with uh, the impact of racism in our institutions. And uh, I believe strongly for our city and for our country that we need to fix systemic racism and how that shows itself every single day in, in our lives. Right. And, um, at the local level there, uh, there's a lot of ways that that needs to happen, including, um, looking at, uh, how people are prosecuted, how, what, what does policing look like? Um, how do we make, our city uh, really and truly work for all because historically it hasn't and we have to make sure it does. So to me, this is a tremendous opportunity uh, to really say we can be better than we are right now as a people, as a country, as a city. And if we lean in to fix the issues, um, to fix the, the institutions that were built upon racist thought from the past, that is obviously not right and needs to be fixed. So I, I think we need to have that mindset. And, um, you know, I, I think that there needs to be change. Uh, and any good leader, I think, in a, in a city in this country right now has to be thinking about that uh, because it, it, it isn't, it isn't fair for everyone right now and it needs to be. So I think that is something um, that's, that's big, uh, that is, uh, needs to be dealt with every single day. And then also there are other issues that have been made worse or worsened uh, with the pandemic. Um, gun violence has uh, really uh, jumped up in cities across the country. And in Philadelphia, we had a problem that was growing with gun violence before the pandemic. Um, and that's unlike most cities across the country, our violence was actually increasing. And so we've had a huge spike up right now. Our homicide rate is the highest it's been since 1990, which is completely unacceptable. And we're losing, um, we're losing the lives of a lot of our, our young men in our city. And that needs to be fixed. Uh, and uh, I don't want to get too off of your question, but I think these are some of the issues that we need to we need to fix. We need to work on that cities are dealing with. And there's also increasing uh, income inequality, which um, we've seen we see across the country. And uh, we need to figure out how to make the country work for everyone. So there's a lot of issues that combine social and finance. And that's something that I've tried to do as city controller here is, of course, do the audit part of my job, of course, do the required work, but then also lean in on issues that have a social impact as well as a financial one. 
Thank you so much. You touched upon a lot that I, I resonated with, first of all. Okay. Um, and you also talk about how, you know, the issues of systemic racism are now at the forefront of a lot of political issues as well. And you also talked about income inequality, and I find it very interesting that, you know, according to reports, two of every three Pennsylvania households have women with children as primary primary or co-breadwinners. And so despite the crucial role that women play in ensuring household livelihoods, Pennsylvania boasts a 76% gender wage gap. What yeah. is, or perhaps what can the controller's office do to contribute towards narrowing the gender wage gap? So very good question. And um, it's something that Diversity is something that's so important, gender diversity, and then also working towards that wage gap, which exists, of course, between men and women and then among women um, between uh, there's another gender gap, uh, wage gap between uh, people of color and and white women. So that needs to be handled as well. Um, so what can the controller do? One thing is, um, I have just on a personal level from my workplace, uh, I have a lot of uh, senior women on my staff and it's something that I, um, promote and push for, which is making sure that women, uh, that I lift women up and that women are given the opportunity that um, they should have in our society. And there is um, there is some uh, gender uh, and gender response and some sexism in our country, in our city, in our world. So it's something that uh, I just continue to push against and to fight for the rights of women. Uh, and then also on the broader issue, of uh, diversity, uh, my office does some has added something to the departmental audit, which we do every year, where we analyze the diversity of each department in the city's uh, at will workforce to see if there's been um, an increase in diversity over the last year, a decrease, what is going on in the department and if they're following best practices for diverse hiring. So uh, what I'm trying to do is in any way possible, every way possible to move the needle on these issues. No, I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, also to hear that a lot of your senior staffers are um, you know, women, but if there's, if I can imagine anybody to know a lot about defying gender roles specifically within the political realm and the financial realm, it would be you. And so now I kind of want to ask you on a personal note, you know, can you speak about your experience becoming the first woman to be elected into the controller's office in Philadelphia? What did this feel like at the time? You know, what were some of the challenges and hurdles that you had to overcome as a woman entering the office that you did? And did your experience at all differ to expectations that you had prior to entering the office? So uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I ran on a platform of being the most qualified candidate to run and um, to stand up to the entrenched interests, to make our government work. 
to be to be bold and thoughtful. And I had the private sector experience combined with the government experience. So I ran on my experience. But uh, of course, I'm a woman. And that is very much part of my identity. Uh, And to be the first woman elected controller was an honor. Uh, I was humbled by it. And I um, it really is. It's, It's really just an honor. I think uh, though that there should be a lot more women and that it speaks, it's crazy to me that I'm the first woman <laughs> that in this day and age. Right. So I think that, um, there are definitely some, some things that, that I went through or, you know, maybe some, uh, thoughts about me that could have been gendered or so even some in a subconscious way, you know, the questions like, are you tough enough to run for office? And I'm like, yeah, I'm plenty tough. But I think men, um, maybe the assumption is made that that men in general are perhaps tougher, which is obviously not true. Uh, but but um, things like that, I just uh, when I experience things like that, I just take it as, OK, you can underestimate me, but I'm going to prove you wrong. So that's just um, the spirit that I carry with me every day and uh, try to to push forward. I think that's amazing. I think you touched upon something at the beginning that you kind of wrapped up to at the end, which is that you got elected based off of your credentials and being like the most um, qualified candidate. And um, I think that's also very respectful of you. Um, The question, so I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. We talked about some of the social dynamics that Philadelphia was facing, but now I want to touch upon some of the unique financial challenges that Philadelphia faces. So in your perspective, what are some of these unique financial challenges that Philadelphia is facing in comparison to a lot of the other major American cities and how can the controller's office begin to address them? So Philadelphia uh, does have some unique challenges. Uh, Philly is a city and a county, which I mentioned earlier. What that means from a financial standpoint is that the city is responsible for county functions such as uh, the prisons, such as a Department of Human Services um, at the county level, so foster care uh, and behavioral health. Every other service that uh, is usually provided by a separate county, in Philadelphia, we provide that. And while most cities have, um, where most cities, so for example, Chicago has Cook County, Illinois. Most cities have a county that is bigger, that um, has a wealthiest, wealthier suburban tax base to draw from to fund those county services. Philadelphia does not. So in Philly, we have um, a population that is uh, the poorest uh, of the top uh, 15 largest city. We, we have the highest poverty rate and we have the responsibility for a city and county function. So uh, it means that we need to make every dollar work in the best way possible for the people of our city to move our city forward. And so one of the challenges is, you know, we're a city and county. That's just, that is a challenge that's in, in that's inherent in Philly and the way that uh, the city was drawn up. Um, we are the poorest big city. That is a big challenge. Um, we uh, 
Philadelphia has the highest homicide rate per capita of the top 15 largest cities. And we have uh, the highest opioid death overdose rate of the top 25 counties. Those are depressing statistics. And I don't want the audience to come away depressed about Philly because Philly has so many amazing things going for it, right? It has the arts and our sports teams, our businesses. We have so much um, going for us here in Philadelphia, but there's also a lot of challenge. And I think with challenge comes opportunity. And the opportunity is that we must use every dollar in the best way possible. And that becomes especially important with something like the American Rescue Plan, where we have $1.4 billion coming in. We should be um, addressing those core challenges that I just mentioned uh, and funding programs that work, that, that work to address those challenges and measuring the success of those programs, of each dollar, to make sure that the tax dollar is being used in the best way possible to move our city forward, right? So um, I think those are unique challenges to Philly and ones that we need to change. I mean, we need to change the poverty rate. We need to change the homicide rate and the opioid overdose uh, rate. We need to change as well. So those are things that uh, I wake up in the morning thinking, I know I'm just a city controller, but I'm also going to try to work on these big issues as well. I think that's amazing. And you, you talk about, you know, change in a lot of different ways. And you also touch upon kind of Philadelphia's poverty rate. So my next question to you is, in what ways are Philadelphia's tax base changing? What challenges does that bring up for you as a controller now and into the future? Yeah, so Philadelphia has a unique uh, tax structure where we have a wage tax and um, we have a pretty sizable wage tax. So our largest revenue source uh, is wage tax. It is not property tax. Most local governments, the largest revenue is property tax. So when wage tax is dependent on people's jobs, so uh, it is very economically sensitive. So when we get um, when we get hit with an economic downturn, or for example, COVID and the uh, resulting impact, our revenues really plummet. So that is just something that uh, from the beginning, just from basic understanding of Philly, that we're much more dependent on the wage tax. Uh, then changes in the taxes right now. Um, one thing that is very much at the forefront of my mind is the change that could occur and is likely to occur from people's changing work patterns. And if um, we have uh, people right now, many people that commute from the suburbs to uh, Center City, to the city for working, and if they don't, then we will get less wage checks. And that will be an impact. And during the pandemic, that impact uh, was as large as $200 million. So if even, you know, even if 75% of the workforce comes back uh, to the city, if 25% doesn't, that's a sizable hit. So we need to be thinking about one, how do we make up for that revenue? And two, um, what should we be doing in this changing environment to perhaps attract 
people to Philly that want to live in a city, um, but might take advantage of a lower cost of living than, say, uh, in New York or in D.C. So those are some of the things uh, that are on my mind in, in terms of taxes and changing behavior that impacts our taxes. Thanks so much for that answer. And I see that we have a question that's come in from an attendee, which is on the topic um, that we have been speaking about. And so the question that I want to pose to you here from the attendee is, why can't the property tax be increased to a level where it provides adequate funding for the city slash county? So that's a very good question. Um, we get a few billion dollars a year from wage tax. So increasing the property tax in that level would not be, um, we wouldn't be able to do that given the amount of revenue collected from wage tax. The question, and, and maybe I'll just reframe your question a bit to, um, to say that there is a big push to reduce the dependence on wage tax. And I do think that reducing the dependence on wage checks um, should be done because it, study after study has shown that the higher wage checks has prevented growth in Philadelphia's economy. So I think we do need to reduce our dependence on wage checks and uh, believe pretty strongly that we need to do that. Uh, I would say I, I don't think that we should be um, increasing property taxes, though, on people here, especially when our school system is not one where the majority of people um, can send their kids to schools where the education is at a level that I think it should be or that we think it should be. So we need to improve the schools. The schools are under um, are sort of a separate budget. I'm not the controller. Well, I am the financial controller, but not the performance auditor over the schools. But I think it becomes very complicated. Um, in terms of just raising property tax uh, because people want to feel like they're getting more out of their government. So I think what needs to happen is that Philadelphia needs to run more efficiently and more effectively, and we need to do more with each dollar. <clears throat> that is something that I push for every day, and I think that we truly need to look at the city's operations and say, you know, with the help of outside uh, experts with the help of um, other voices and say, how do we do this better? How do we become best in class at all of our services? And I bet, you know, there's a significant amount of money that could be saved in that process. Thank you. So on the topic of wage and income taxes, there's also another question that's come in from an attendee and the question asks, does the city attempt to collect income taxes from professional sports athletes who are members of visiting teams when they play in Philadelphia? Yes, the city does do that actually. Uh, and that's a very good question. Um, the, the city started doing that <clears throat> some years ago and uh, definitely, definitely does that. So uh, that was a nice revenue boost when we first started doing that. But uh, we do. We do do that now. Thank you. And I just want to remind all the attendees that we really appreciate the questions that are coming in. And I encourage more of our attendees to submit them as we continue on our conversation. 
But uh, controller, I wanted to touch upon some of the things that you had mentioned in a couple questions previously, where you talked about, um, you know, supporting some industries that were faced or that were like detrimented during the pandemic. And so what are some of the ways that Philadelphia is supporting these industries that were challenged by the pandemic? And the, the industry that I'm speaking to particularly is, you know, the restaurant industry or service industry specifically. Good question. I mean, the restaurant and service industries were hit really hard. Uh, and um, this is something my office did a four part series on COVID's impact on small business in Philadelphia. Uh, and Philadelphia is interesting in that uh, as a county, it's second only to Kings County, New York, which is Brooklyn, in the percentage of our businesses that were imp impacted by COVID. And that's because of the large percentage of our businesses that are in the restaurant and hospitality industry. And so in this four-part series, uh, my office also looked at how the federal PPP money was distributed uh, in our city and how our Commerce Department's uh, grant program uh, was uh, delivered uh, to our our businesses here. But there have been various aid programs uh, to our small business. And as the controller, I've uh, had my office do what we can do to make the information available uh, to be able to move our city forward. That's great. I had no clue that uh, the statistic that you mentioned about Philadelphia being second to uh, Brooklyn in terms yeah. of the percentage of business that were affected. That's very interesting. Um, so infrastructure is a critical issue in the United States. And so how would you describe Philadelphia's in infrastructure issues and how can they be addressed financially and through your office? So, um, I mean, Philly, I mean, it's great that this is being tackled at uh, the national level in terms of infrastructure. I think that infrastructure at the local level is in, in very much need of, of repair. And it's something that um, that residents care deeply about and rightfully so the quality of the roads, the quality of the rec centers, library buildings. Uh, there's so many different types of buildings, uh, infrastructure that needs to be improved. And then there's things that we don't see, but that are very important, such as water pipes, gas pipes. The city of Philadelphia owns uh, the largest publicly owned gas utility company in the country, Philadelphia Gas Works. Uh, we need to make sure that we're replacing pipeline um, in a manner that uh, keeps it safe. Same with water pipes. I mean, we have very old systems, like many of the older cities across the country. So uh, making sure our infrastructure is up, is in the condition that is necessary uh, to provide safety uh, and also to provide the services that government needs to provide is of utmost importance. And I think that um, you know, hopefully we'll get uh, some help from the federal government on, on infrastructure. And I'm looking forward to that. I think that the country honestly needs some help on, with infrastructure funding. And then that 
um, would allow uh, perhaps the city to fund other priorities and other needs. But we'll see what happens um, in this, you know, in the political landscape in, in that role. And, you know, one thing, Shivani, that I forgot to mention on challenges, if this is of interest, is the city's pension fund. Uh, because the city, uh, our pension fund um, is only about 51% funded. And we have uh, uh, about a $6 billion unfunded liability in our pension fund. So that is a big financial challenge that I just thought of and thought, you know what, I should put that out there in case uh, you want to talk about that more. I think that's a great way to floor some questions from our attendees if they have any about any other challenges that Philadelphia might be facing. Um, but I do have a couple more questions from you before we actually formally begin the Q&A session with the attendees, and that is, during your tenure, what have been the biggest surprises and challenges when it comes to government waste? Mm. Uh Great question. I think the one of the biggest, one of the, the biggest, the things that I really had to get used to is the amount of pushback, especially at the beginning, that I got from some things that I thought were just common sense to do. Um, whether it was a specific audit uh, of an area that seemed like there could be waste, or um, just not going along with the status quo of something that seemed wasteful to me. The, the amount of political pushback that I got from sort of people that had been in the political system for a long time was tremendous. And I just said over and over again, look, the people elected me to be here. I'm going to work for the people here uh, unless they don't want me and they can decide when they go to the polls. Um, but I'm not going to sort of be pushed around um, like this because things have been done like this for a long time in Philly. Uh, so that was one of the biggest surprises. And I have to say that has sort of eased off with uh, the longer I've just sort of held my ground and done, I think, what's right for this city. I think um, in terms of findings from our audits that have been the most surprising the internal controls one was one of the most surprising ones to me because I did just did not know that is what uh, we would find in that audit. And that is something that I think um, is just completely unacceptable. And then there's been a lot of other surprises along the way uh, in our audits uh, that, um, and we also have investigations. So we do in investigations of, of employee wrongdoing and of, uh, employee waste and mismanagement. So, but, th but th there have been quite a few uh, surprises along the way. That's great to hear. And so now I'm going to ask you one final question from me, um, and then we'll kind of open it up onto the floor for some Q&A from the attendees. But I want to hear from you as to what you consider to be the biggest achievements during your tenure. Yeah. Um, so during my tenure, my office has audited every department every year, which is a requirement of the job, but had not always been done in the past. So that's pretty basic. And then in addition, we've done the required departmental audits um, and 
done special audits in areas ranging from um, a performance audit of the city's sexual harassment policies, procedures, and payouts to look at how we can better protect our workers uh, and also reduce the financial liability of settlements. Uh, And then my office has also looked at financial issues. I talked about uh, the four-part series that we did on COVID, and we did a recent report on the ARP. I think um, one of the things I'm most proud of is the work my office has done that has expanded the role of the city controller's office here uh, to tackle and work on issues that have a social impact such as gun violence. My office uh, did a report in 2019 on the economic impact of gun violence in our city. Now, of course, the the moral impact, the the human impact is why we should all be working every day to solve this crisis. But there is also a financial impact. And as a city controller, that is the lens that I started getting into this issue with. And then from there, my office has continued to do work on best practices from other cities, what has worked to bring the violence down in other cities. And I'll continue to work on social issues uh, because I think as a citywide elected official that I do have a responsibility uh, to use my voice for change. I think that's amazing. And I think a lot of the projects that you've been working on are projects to be very proud about. Um, so I want to say congratulations to you for your tenure and all that you've been able to accomplish while you've been in office. So yeah. I want to now open the floor up for some Q&A um, from our attendees. And there's a question that's come in from our attendee that I think is great in uh, referring back to your one of the challenges that you mentioned. And the attendee asks, what are the long-term plans for solving Philadelphia's pension funding problem? Great question. So as the city controller, I do sit on the pension board for Philadelphia. The pension board is made up of four members appointed by the mayor, um, four members appointed by the union, and uh, myself, the city controller. So over the last... um, Over the last few years, or even more than a few years, the city has been working on this issue um, from a few different vantage points, a few different angles, because it isn't something that's just going to have a magic answer one day, because the problem is so big. Um, First... The pension fund back in 08, 09 had an assumed rate of return of over 9%, which is obviously not okay. So every year uh, the pension board has voted to uh, reduce the assumed rate of return about five basis points on average per year. It's down to 7.5%. The average among municipal plans right now is about 7% much higher than the private sector, of course. And we did, my office did analysis a few years ago that showed that we probably should be, we should have an assumed rate of return around 6.8%. The issue with lowering the assumed rate of return is that 
the more you lower it, the more money the city must put in to the pension plan every year uh, to fund the unfunded liability. So there is a balance there, uh, but uh, we are sort of uh, continually reducing that assumed rate of return. Then on the benefit side, the pension plan, which is responsible for the majority of the unfunded liability, is a plan that is closed to new members. That is a plan for people that started at the city before 1987. Um, that plan is closed. The, the big problem of that was created uh, in the 70s and 80s when mayors did not put money into the pension fund but promised the benefits. So now we're seeing the results of that. So we closed uh, closed the most generous pension plan, <clears throat> excuse me, and then have <clears throat> the administration through negotiations with the unions has negotiated that employees must pay more into the pension fund. So there's multiple changes, and I know that was a long answer, but there's multiple changes um, that have been made and continue to be made every year to shore up the pension fund with an unfunded liability of close to $6 billion, it's not like we're suddenly going to get that money um, to just solve the problem. So it is something that needs work every single year. Uh, and um, that's, I think, uh, it, it is moving a little bit in the right direction in the sense that it was 46% funded and now it's 51% funded. But still, it's a huge financial problem. Thank you so much for your answer. Um, so now I see that there's a question that's come in, which is about um, the fiscal year 2022 uh, budget. And so from what I understand, Philadelphia City Council has just approved the fiscal year 2022's budget. What priorities does the budget put in place for you? So, um, the budget just passed by city council will be you know, signed by the mayor. I think that the budget itself um, isn't what necessarily decides the priorities for our office because um, we are the audit function of all of the city departments and there are over, there are close to 50 departments. And so I think that um, we have uh, a few major audits coming up, one of which will be on police spending, on what is, you know, which was requested by city council actually for our office to audit the police department. What we're going to do is look at it from the lens of how do we reimagine policing or think about changes to policing so that everyone feels safe. Uh, because right now everyone does not feel safe from the police. So that's one uh, bit sizable audit that is upcoming for us. We're also in the sheriff's office. We have a separate uh, sheriff. Uh, we're doing an audit there and we have several other audits that are, that are uh, coming up, which I think will add value and hopefully make our city work better uh, for all of our people and businesses here. That's great. Thank you so much. And now I have one final question um, here from an attendee. 
And then before we can begin to wrap up, and the question reads, you know, you mentioned problems with financial controls. Are the financial control issues unique to government or would they be commonly seen in the private sector? Great question. They could be seen in the private sector. They are, um, but I, I don't think it would be that common for this number of material weaknesses and significant deficiencies to show up year after year in the private sector. Uh, weaknesses include um, weaknesses around uh, preparation of financial statements. In 2018, one of the findings was that there were over 900 million in errors in the financial statements sent to our office for audit. So our office, our auditors caught those errors, but there shouldn't have been that many errors. The size of the errors was way too large. Uh, so for example, that was one. Another weakness was um, uh, related to uh, reconciling bank accounts that we found that the city hadn't reconciled its largest bank account in three years. That is insane because it's supposed to be reconciled every day. So there's things like that that I think they could be found in the, in the private sector, but they're pretty much unacceptable. So they should be. When I spoke to um, my contacts, uh, uh, other people in the auditing uh, sector that handle private sector companies, when I showed them what we were looking at, what they said is, wow, uh, if anything like this were ever found in the private sector, if this weren't cleaned up within one year, then management um, would be fired. Like, there would be no question around it. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's not the problems that are necessarily unique, but the lack of urgency in fixing them. And that's what I fight for and push for is that, look to the mayor, to the mayor's finance director, who's the CFO, these things need to be fixed and they need to be fixed with urgency because this is taxpayer money. Uh, we have to make this right and, and treat it like uh, with the respect it deserves. Uh, I know I, I, I know I'd mentioned that that would be our last question, but on the topic of urgency, I do have a very interesting question for you and perhaps we can wrap it up with that. But uh, what I want to know is in what ways is climate change or the urgency of uh, climate change policies altering Philadelphia's fiscal priorities, if in any way? So interesting around uh, climate change. Uh, it is something that uh, the city is looking into and to see how, you know, how our city will be impacted. Uh, that is something that is being looked at. I think it isn't as New York city, for example, um, there's been study after study showing the, how big the impact will be to New York. I think it's something here in Philly that our city government is really just starting to look at and to analyze how that will be impacted. But uh, we already have, um, you know, certain neighborhoods that get much hotter than other neighborhoods because there isn't the tree cover. And often those are uh, in poorer neighborhoods where people don't have air conditioning. So 
as climate change occurs and our city gets hotter, that's going to be more and more of a burden on some of our poorer neighborhoods. So we need to figure out what to do around that. Uh, And there's a variety of other issues that are similar to that. So thank you so much. That concludes the the Q&A session. And we've gone through a lot of the questions that came in from the attendees. This is not a question, but this is a comment that's come in from an attendee who is an avid lover of the city of brotherly love. And he says, keep up the good work. (laughs) Thank you. I wanted to personally take some time out to say thank you so much for being here and joining us today for the Q&A session. We really enjoyed your insights and I'm sure that our members find them very valuable as well. Um, And with that, Michelle, I'll hand it back over to you. But thank you so much, Controller. Thank you for having me today.